by the third time I met him, I thanked him and I told him, as I turned around to walk away, I smiled at him and I said, I know you're ripping me off, but I have no other option. <laughs> and the look on his, the look on his face was just like, oh. like he had no idea that I would know. Yeah. But I had no option at that at that point. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Blood, Sweat, and Gear with coaches Skip Hill, Andrew Berry, and myself, Scott McNally. All of our programming is brought to you by True Nutrition. TrueNutrition.com. Use our code THINK for additional savings and to let them know that you support our show, to let them know that, uh, you know, you, you maybe heard about them through us. Um, the code is super important. So if you shop with them, use a code, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. <laughs> now, thank you guys. And they're a great company. We're also brought to you by Patreon. Thank you to everybody who uh, supports the show through Patreon, as well as supplementsource.ca. I think we got a couple more Patreon questions. We'll cover them today. We've got a topic. We're also going to talk to um, Andrew here because he got some, um, he has some new recent insights. He trained with Nate the other day, some light bulbs turned on, which shows that we can always keep learning. Uh, I want Andrew to share his, his insights on back training with us. But to start out, the topic of the day is your worst cycle ever. This is something I've been talking about for a while now. I got Dave and I were talking about this. Uh, I was talking about uh, crazy cycles with Ron and Dusty. And, of course, this has been kind of a fun thing to do topics that go from show to show to show. So you mm -hmm. guys tell us, think about what that cycle was, worst cycle ever. I can think of a few myself. I can think of probably cycles I haven't even shared about that were terrible <laughs> cycles, especially earlier on before I really knew what I was doing. You know what I'm saying? There's mistakes that we make along the way. Got anything offhand you can think of? I kept talking, if you'll notice, and that was to Phil. <laughs> yeah, and I appreciate it so that we could think about it. I have You have to understand, I started using steroids for the first time in 1986. Dang. So, I was three. <laughs> that deserves yeah, I got a, a jump on you. It looked like it. Looked like it worked out real well for me. You haven't gotten the air horn in a while, so I thought you'd deserve the air horn skip. I oh, this is going to be a tough one because I Andrew, you I want, know you're scratching. You want me to go? What's that? You, want, you, want you got something, actually, Andrew? Yeah, yeah, yeah. because yeah. I documented it and um, and also showed my labs from it on Mountain Dog Diet and did a whole article on how stupid it was. Okay, but it, I mean, it's nothing like that. It's not too, too crazy, but it was testosterone. And if I'm thinking back to the dose, it was probably 900 milligrams a week. And then it was one of the rarest times that I ran Decadurbolin. Um, hmm. Probably, if I'm guessing, it was seven to 800 milligrams a week. Sure. And then I also threw in Tren at Ooh. about 400, 450 milligrams a week. And if, uh, if I remember correctly, I think I was also layering in Anadrol. Like, I think I did like two weeks on, three weeks off, two weeks off. Anyway, the cycle only lasted like six weeks because I'm looking at my blood pressure and it's like 142, you know, 145, 148. It's like, huh, this isn't good. And, and and I'm always a 120 over 80 kind of person, or usually I'm 118 over 78, like on the dot, no matter what time of year it is, what body weight. So I knew this was not a good cycle for me. So, and I was using some growth then too. Um, so I immediately got labs done and I believe my HDL was like 
11 or maybe it was nine. It might've been single digits. I think it was like nine. And my LDL cholesterol was like 248 or 270. Okay. Holy crap. Now for me, that really was like, okay, this is a wake up call. Cycle stops immediately. We're going TRT. I think it was 125 milligrams a week only at that point. And I started researching every health supplement, even if had one iota. And I published all this on Mountain Dog. Like I was using, um, what's the one that's made from like sugar cane? Um, oh, Jesus. It's like, it's one of those supplements that like it was heavily, it was researched based off funding from like the sugarcane industry because they use their product to extract the one ingredient scott stevenson could probably think of it off the top of his head um my brain's not going there right now but it's helped to help with your ldl cholesterol you know okay. add in everything reggie rice reggie's rice i was doing 19 grams of fish oil a day um i was doing you i bet uh, you didn't sneeze if you went to sneeze you covered your nose yeah, so the blood didn't come out. <laughs> no, so that you didn't shit your pants. Nineteen grand fish oh, oil. No. I was fine. No, with it. that's not no, crazy. That was fine. I mean, it's not, was, it's high, but I, I it's I high. Expect that unless you but, took uh, it all at once, like just guzzled no, it. <laughs> I was doing like I think it was like I had a couple pills, and I also had an oil, and I was doing like three five gram servings in my meals, and then. Yeah. I was doing like three capsules at meal one or something like that with three grams. So maybe four grams. I can't remember. It was somewhere up there. So I remember I sent it to John and he's like, you're taking how much fish oil? Yeah. And I'm like, trust me on this. I think I got it down. So within six weeks, my HDL was back up to like 47 and my LDL was like 92. Okay. So uh, that combination, I can't tell you exactly what worked and what didn't, but that combination of kitchen sink health protocols and pulling, obviously. Yeah, coming off too. Yeah. Yeah, but how many times do you see people take, you know, you don't do labs on someone until eight, eight weeks after they're done a cycle and their LDL is still like 32, 29. Yeah. yeah. And they're eight, I'm sorry, where their was your, Where was your uh, HDL before that? Oh, had you always been like decent? I'm always like a 38 to 42 kind okay. of person. You know, depending on how much I'm happy to be in that range do. now. Like I'm up in the forty upper forties. I used to be twenty five. I couldn't get it to budge. Like it was twenty five always. Yeah. Like while on, you know, for competing and stuff. Even at the end of like a long, like thirty week prep cycle, I think the lowest I've been is like 21, 23, but that's with like the knowledge of knowing, okay, I'm doing some damage, I'm doing some damage and I'm immediately going into a health phase. I'm not trying to add a cycle on at the end of this cycle, this prep right. cycle, right. you know, with that mindset. So, um, yeah, so that was, that was my worst cycle and the gains weren't that great because I was a water Buffalo. Um, I attribute that mostly to the DECA. I really sure. didn't enjoy that at all. And I, I, that was probably the last time I ran it actually. And this is going back to 2000 and, maybe 14 or 15. So. Okay. Um, what's, what's this about? Uh, Scott Stevenson commented something. He said, uh, Ken, which in case you guys didn't know, Skip also goes by Ken sometimes. Um, it's my legal name. <laughs> he says, uh, except for on your passport, right? I mean, was that the problem with your passport? You wrote Skip yeah, in by accident? Yeah, Skip on there, yeah. says, uh, um, what about whatever you were on before those famous kitchen photos <laughs> of you running at a body fat around Tubagoo? Yeah, Tubagoo. What, to, what uh, is he I talking about? I have those pictures again? if you wanted to use them. Yeah? They are horrendous. 
Yeah, send them over, man. Scott knows it. In my defense, those pictures were taken six weeks after I tore my bicep doing chins. And at 262. Now, mind you, 260. I know. But 262, (laughs) 262 at 30 or 31 years old. 31 years old. Okay. I had man boobs. I mean, I literally was just stuffing food down me. I was insanely strong, but then I tore. I had a minor tear in my bicep. And let me tell you, if you tear your bicep when you're doing chins and you don't have music in your ears, you hear it tear. Oh, yeah. Because Ooh. it's right next to your ear. Yeah. And it was not, not on the first set. It was on the third set. But I was doing chins at 262. And I wasn't doing them like... A CrossFitter would do them. They, I, I was able to pull them, but it was too much on my bicep. So six weeks later, after not training for six weeks, I dropped down to two thirty, still eating like a slob. Well, I say eating like slob. I wasn't eating like a slob prior to that, but I was eating like a slob after that because I wasn't training. And anybody who knows me knows that when I don't train, I don't eat. I eat whatever once a day when I finally get hungry, and then I turn into a pig. Anyway, I took pictures in in our home in the kitchen and that's what he's referred to white hairy just distended pregnant fat it was horrible so this but was no. more of a food thing not a gear thing yeah that, that wasn't time. a gear thing the gear thing that stands out is this and and this i mean i could go back to 20 2020 and i could say i was taking more gear than i had ever taken and i said that i was going to more gear than i was ever taking i was getting back on stage I wasn't going to say a whole lot about it. And I was in great shape, and then I tore my glute and everything. And the reason was because I had nowhere else to put gear, and I was to the point where I was having an inflammatory response due to the volume of the gear to the point where I contacted my source and said, can you change the vehicle? Because I cannot tolerate MCT oil, and he changed it to, like, cottonseed or something. I can't remember what it was. Very, very thick. And then I was able to tolerate it, and it was a week later that I tore my glute. I would have the muscles that I injected would be sore for, like, over a week. So Mm. I was running out of places to put everything. But the cycle was great in the sense that I responded very well to it what I have said over and over on the podcast is the cost to benefit wasn't there. The ridiculous amount of gear I was taking, you know, if I'm taking this much gear, I only really, you know, got this much more out of it. Mm, So to me, the cost to benefit wasn't there, but I go back to this. When I first got to Colorado, 1997 and I was getting back into the gym and you know because we moved we had our youngest daughter was like four or five I got settled in got a job working with kids there it had been a handful of months and I wanted to get back in the gym but I had no connections because I knew no one and this woman at my work used to compete when she was younger and she was maybe like 20 years older than me so maybe she was about 50 at the time she hooked me up with her buddy and she goes look I don't know you know anything about that sort of stuff but I know he's into it he sold me and, and, and I did not have money at that point. So I really had no business doing it. I had to run, era, you remember Aerotest? No. no. Old heads, well. Oh, Aerotest. Mexican. It was a Mexican type of testosterone. Oh, okay. And then there was the Nor, the Nor 200. Nor, so then he sold me a bottle of Nor 50, which is 50 milligram DECA, 20 mil bottle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For $380. Oh, do the math, do the math, 20 mil, 20 mil at 50 milligram. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) For $380. 
the Aritas was 10 mil, 250, and he was selling me those at $180 a bottle. And I remember the third time I met him, he'd pull up, you know, because you got to, you can't, it's weird how guys who sell gear and buy gear, they just always do it like a, like a, like it's a heroin drug deal. Like you pull up in your truck and I walk out and I give you cash and you hand me, we're not even being stealthy about this or smart about this. Like anybody could be on to what we're doing, but we're doing it anyway. By the third time I met him, I thanked him and I told him, as I turned around to walk away, I smiled at him and I said, I know you're ripping me off, but I have no other option. <laughs> and the look, on his, the look on his face was just like, oh, like he had no idea that I would know. Yeah. But I had no option at that at that point. And that was right before I got back. Uh, it was it was when I was on the boards. And people were starting to ask me a little bit because I was skip loading because I was getting ready for a show in 2002 and I hadn't competed in a, in a while and hadn't because we had been in Colorado for four years at that point, five years at that point. So that's when everything started to kick off. That happened probably, well, no, I guess it was three or four years prior to that. Anyway, late 90s. And this the cycle itself, it worked. It was great. But the reason I mention it is just because I'm sure everybody can relate to not having options and not yeah. knowing where to, and I felt it was my safest move because he knew you know, like they were friends. So he, he, it was unlikely that he was going to screw me over or get me in trouble or I was going to get in trouble with him. He wouldn't be a cop or anything like that. So the internet at that point was not, it wasn't there yet yeah. to where you could buy gear online or if you could, I didn't know about it because I didn't get into the online community until about, 2000 2000 okay. yeah that's yeah, about, a bad uh, cycle but it's in a way i never would have thought man and it worked that's, great that's great that's a great very story dose and i responded very well to it but. that's a great story i remember having a, a guy that i had hired a local guy he was like the first person i ever hired i gave him 200 dollars. maybe it was a little bit less than that and i showed him my diet we we met over at the Coney Island, like the diner down the street or down the plaza from the gym. And I sat down with him and I showed him my diet. And he was like, you're doing this, you're doing this, you're doing this, you're taking ibuprofen. What's that for? And then he's like, okay. He's like, so, all right, what I'll have you do is just move that ibuprofen to here. I would take it here instead. Everything else you're doing looks good. That was my $200. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. And he told me too, he was like, Hey, you know, if, if, you know, if you wanted to get on a cycle, I can help you out with that. And I can't remember what brand it was at the time, but it was like a brand that everybody knew everybody could get. And there was this, there was a, 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 there was a message board at this time that was just like popping. It was domestic. There was, like 25 sources on it and things were getting cheaper and cheaper. Do you guys remember operation raw deal? Oh yeah. So oh. it caught, it was the board that cost that. And okay. they took all those sources out and all the, we used to be able to do like real easy testing domestically. You could just send a violin, get it tested and everybody mm-hmm. wouldn't, everybody would pitch in the money and, and find out, you know what the exact dosing was on something. Couldn't do that anymore. Government had to protect us from ourselves and they, they, <laughs> they shut down a lot. But at the time, like, test was like 25 maybe something like that tops 20 you know and he he had this stuff and he was like yeah he was like it's 150 and the deck is 150 or 175 150 bucks for a bottle yeah yeah and uh 
I was like, oh, and I felt kind of, and he said this over the phone. Uh, and I was like, ah, yeah, you know, I was like, I, I have this other place and I can get a much better deal than that. And he said, well, you don't put, what did he say? And this was the brand he was talking about. It was like just another UGL that was like run the yeah. mill. He was like, you don't put economy fuel in a Ferrari. <laughs> I could see that one coming down the pipe. I, I, I was, I figured it would be a race car or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that was the exact words he said. He said, "In a Ferrari." You know it worked too. You're like, okay. No, I didn't. I, didn't. I was like, yeah, I'm just gonna. I was too poor, man. I couldn't. I just gave the dude 200 bucks. Yeah. There's no way I could. Yeah, you yeah, basically exactly. paid for an introduction to get almost fleeced on drug sales, <laughs> right? Like, and then got like out of literally. it. Literally, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like it's one of those. Um, Hey, come listen to this seminar. We'll get you a free vacation. But then sure. you find out once you sign up for the vacation, you actually have to pay for like almost everything. Yeah, yeah as is, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to tell you something to introduce this next topic. Um, you know, sometimes uh, I, I work with clients and we're working on training, and they're super absorbent to it, and they just want they know that like if they can do something different, that they can grow. If they can find something that they weren't thinking about that's going to work for them they can make new progress. And then you have other guys that are resistant and it's an ego hit to be told like, Hey, we need to adjust this. Like it destroys them seriously. Um, it's this, this topic to me, I don't even know what you're going to talk about, Andrew. This topic to me is proof that all of us can keep learning that the gym and training is something that will always keep evolving. Both of you guys are people that I highly look up to. Like you guys both, I feel like that, you know, talking to you, it helps me to evolve my own thoughts. I learn from you every time. I think we all learn from each other every time we do this show, you know? And, uh, you know, Andrew, you're somebody, so that said, you're somebody who has a ton of experience with training. This has been your passion all your life. And before we started recording, you said, yeah, Nate showed me some stuff that completely, that really lit me up, changed a lot of my thinking, you know, Mm -hmm. what are, what are you going to tell us about? Well, first, you know, I do want to preface this. I think, I guess one of my best traits is I was kind of like born with no ego. You know, like if someone has any type of resume at all or they're proficient in something, I'm like pencil and pad out or you've had results with doing something. You know, like some people that get jealous of people that, oh, he's just using that drug or he's he must be doing this or that. To me, it's like my mind is always like, how did he do that? Whether it's bodybuilding, making money. Um, you know, building something outside in your back, whatever it might be. It's like, Hey, what can I learn from them? You know? So yeah. Anyway, so we went, um, we went to the gym and we trained back uh, almost a week and a half ago now. And I do have to preface this that with my training over from North Americans week, which I didn't even get to go to. And the week prior, just with being so busy with work, I was training like at most two days a week. If I think a couple of weeks, it was like once a week. That's just how busy I was. So my body was fresh and ready to go. So we were training back and right off the bat, I noticed like he wasn't slamming weight on there. Like we were using a lot lighter weight right from the first exercise. Hmm. And I was just watching his form and I could see like how exact he was being with his elbows, how exact he was being with driving to the hip and keeping the tension on the lower lats the whole time. That's the main focus of, of where I really felt everything. And, um, and so I just, you know what, he was leading the workout. I'm, ju- I'm jumping in or I'm, I'm following along, you know? Yeah. And it's, and you guys probably know, like when you have someone else who you, you respect and you also feel is equally experienced and has a lot of acumen training, 
you love it when you get someone else to just kind of lead the workout and you get to oh, follow yeah. along. Sure. Yeah. You know, like, because commonly, like, over the last 10 or 12 years, if I'm working out with someone, I'm the guy with more experience. So I'm the one making the workout up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. So I always love these experiences. So I love training with John or when John would have me and Sean Clarita or whoever trained together. That was always like awesome. I get to follow along. But point being, um, we, we did, I can't, I think it's called a Magnum machine. We did a Magnum pull down where it brings your arms out just a little bit. Okay. We did a, we did a prime chest supported row. We did the arsenal chest supported row. We did a um, seated row. We did a T-bar row. And then I feel like we did something else that I'm forgetting. But point being, like more than enough exercises there, right? Throughout that whole workout, we didn't go – he might have gone a little heavier. I didn't go above two plates on any of those machines. Now – Three, four weeks prior or, you know, even a week prior on, on that prime row, I could put five or six plates on that thing and just crank on it. Do you guys know the row I'm talking about? Yeah. It's got the two handles, right? It's chest supported and it's got those three different legs to put the weight on to change where oh, yeah. the, um, yep. the strength curve is, right? We were just putting it right in the middle and every rep, <clears throat> excuse me, every rep was so locked in and controlled, shoulders down, um, driving your elbow down into your hip, kind of like you're trying to elbow yourself like in the hip. Okay. And I, by God, I felt my lower lats. Like I haven't felt them in a long time. No kidding. And it just goes to show you, right? Because we're always trying to progressively overload. We're trying to add a little bit more weight. We're trying to do a little bit more than we did last, last week or whatever we are in our, in our training cycle. We're trying to improve. And usually the, we, we, we gauge a lot of our progress in a linear fashion based off the weights we're using within certain exercises, right? For the most part, not, not saying that's always the main thing we judge or that we critique, but, but, you know, generally, okay, I'm using 10 more pounds than I did last week. I got the same reps. I'm going the right direction. And, 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 you know, and, and slanging and banging weights can absolutely work for a lot of people. And it can also, and it can work for a long time. It worked for me for a long time. And I'm not saying like I was using horrible form. I was just using more of the typical form that you would see on guys that are experienced when you go to the gym moving some weight on some of these things. But everything we did was like two to three second concentric, two to three second eccentric. It was like, you know, when you're you're doing right before you do a lat spread and you're driving your elbows back to show your Christmas tree on stage, mm-hmm. right before you open up and, and put your hands down and open the lats, every rep kind of felt like that. Like we were hitting right in that lower lat area, uh, binding them up. Hmm. And, and whether it was that prime row, the arsenal row, you know, elbow in as hard as it can go, elbow down as hard as it can go, it can go shoulder dropped as low as it can go. So there yeah. was none of this. Like mm-hmm. you weren't losing form on any of the repetitions is what I'm yeah. saying. And you weren't and overloading kind of, the weight so much that you would, you know, you wouldn't jerk it. Could, couldn't have. Like yeah. it wasn't that I wasn't, it was that I couldn't because the, w- the way we were doing it, like I was tapping out or at eight or 10 reps completely spent, couldn't move the bar anymore huh. because it was just that, that much of a concentrated mechanical attention, um, rep, you know, and, you know, and another thing he had me do was like almost open up your, uh, round out your back a little bit on the stretch. Mm-hmm. And then as you're pulling back, not lean back, just arch your chest just a yeah. little bit, yeah. just a little bit like a oomph, you know? Yeah. And we did that on almost, you know, every single exercise I mentioned. And I walked out of there, my back was lit up for like four or five days, like it hadn't been in a long time. You know, typically 
one or two days I'm back, I'm ready to go again. I could train back two or three days later. This one, like, nah, like, like it wasn't crippling, but it was right where I wanted to feel it in that lower lat that, um, that I felt for four or five days afterwards. Mm-hmm. So the point here is that, you know, like I said, we, we get used to, I call it slang and banging, but even, even experienced bodybuilders, use a little too much oomph and a little too much momentum. And I can definitely say that there's times where I do that in an effort to, okay, I did 190 pounds last week. I want to do 200 pounds this week. I'm going to find a way to get those 10 reps, you know, Yeah. versus yeah. this very thought out mechanical process. And if you ask Nate, you know, cause he's made a lot of improvements in his back over the last year. I mean, he made improvements in everything, but he made improvements in his back. This is the kind of stuff he incorporated into his back workouts. And it's not to say that we do the exact same thing because we trained legs two days ago and we did a little bit more of a typical, you know, um, let's just say the reps weren't as slow or as precise, I guess yeah. is the word I'm looking for as it was on the back workout. And both of us were talking today, like both our legs are torn the heck up, you know, but cool. I do think, especially cause you know, we always talk about back being the hardest thing to train because you can't see it. You know, you, you kind of feel it, but it's a big, it's a big piece of real estate. So mm-hmm. are you really knowing, are you working your lower lat versus yeah, so your carries? Pop- yeah. Yeah. Like, like what you, when you feel a burn back there, is that your Terry's or is that your lower lat burning? Or is that yeah. your rhomboid that's trying to keep it kicking in? Yeah. Or is that my your rear delts, you know, <laughs> or your rear delts? Exactly. Exactly. But so I love experiences like this where I can kind of have a light go off in my head. And even if it's only something that I stick with for eight to 10 weeks, I know I can progress at it. If you know what I mean. Having it's, something it's, different, you know, that's, that's, I think the thing is like having something different, you know, but, but, but it's not just different for different sake. You know what I mean? It's, it's different because like, I know it's going to be effective for me for a good stretch because I was getting away with maybe using a little too much weight. And again, not if anyone watched my form, they'd be like, Oh, he's doing a good row. You know, yeah. I, well, I like, guarantee any. I was just going to say one of the things that Scott was talking about before and we've talked about like Mike Menser and when he came out and when hit training started coming out that a lot of those guys were doing Arnold stuff. Right. So they're Mm. like in the gym for extended periods doing super high volume. And then now all of a sudden they're growing and it's like they're doing something. It And that's what the next step there's always going to be. I don't care how experienced you are in the gym. There's always going to be that next step and it's going to be different than what you're doing right now. But how is it going to be different? I don't know. You know, mm-hmm. there's probably multiple ways, but you found one of the, for now, you know what I mean? It won't last forever, mm-hmm. but now you found a, like a next step, something that's going to work in a different way than it had before to get more results. And the bigger thing is that I'm going to challenge myself to not cheat in any way and try to use more weight than allows me to continue to get those perfect reps. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Cause again, I go back to that. Well, I want to feel like I'm progressing in something. Right. So you know, five pounds on the bar, 10 pounds on the bar, whatever it is, you know, I'm not going to do that until I know I can do that with perf- the exact same form I used last week. And yeah. and I had a back workout today that was just like that. So I made sure that I didn't, you know, abuse the weight. Well, I think that's why back training is so much different than say legs. You know, you brought mm-hmm. up the leg training wasn't different with legs there. You break a sticking point, you mm-hmm. know, from point A to point B, what that range of motion is. With back, you you don't you never break a sticking point, and that's yeah. where if you overload on legs, you may fail and not get the rep. But if you overload on back, you can still get the reps. They're just going to be a little mm. bit shorter, and or, that's or something where else I, is doing the work, or some yeah, other sure. muscle is taking over. Absolutely, yep, absolutely. So what you get is 
you lose that retraction. And I think retraction, retraction and protraction are what is misunderstood. And when I say 90% of people in gyms, all of the, whether you have good back development or not, 90% of people don't train their back as effectively or optimally as they could. They just, some people get away with it because they have better genetics and some people don't. And they're forced to look for those other, I don't want to say secrets, but they need to be more analytical and they need to break down the exercises more. And I think that it comes down to retraction and protraction. Ultimately, I agree. I For me, it did too. And yeah. And that's probably why you were not only feeling, but were so ridiculously sore. You weren't used, used to having that, that stimulus of that range of motion with that much retraction and arguably protraction too. Because you'll see people, I see this a lot on long pulley rolls. People will get the retraction. I'll stand behind, I've stood behind clients and people that I've trained with and I'm like, oh, the retraction, but the protraction isn't. The scapula aren't open. They're not yeah. opening up. Mm -hmm. So then you, you think, okay, this type of style of training is going to be effective for you. I, I but then if this. you do it for a while and you okay. come back to what you were doing before, that may be become effective again, too, because you haven't been training that way. So, again, what is the driver for hypertrophy? It's adapting to a, stimula a stimulus that you're not used to, a stimulus that the body is not used to. Let, let me throw this in there, though. I almost feel like our, my range of motion was less than, than, it, than it normally would be. But there was just, it was really the elbow movement and the shoulder position and the complete emphasis, mind-muscle connection every rep to drive that elbow down and in as much as I possibly could. And not letting, because I, I, I guarantee it was actually shorter range of motion because I know my range of motion is always great, but it was just that concentrated effort to not lose that same feeling from the first rep to the last one. Because right from the first rep, it was screaming like, you know, okay, you're walking in. Could it be argued then that because you were slowing everything down, you were getting less range of motion, more mechanical tension, yeah, where mechanical. when you're doing your normal rep tempo, you may have been then getting a better range of motion, but it was momentum driven. Because again, yep. we're not breaking a sticky point. So I use barbell mm -hmm. rows as an example. As long as that bar touches your stomach in the place that it always touches your stomach or your belt for that matter, then we all know, well, that rep was good. Yep. It wasn't short. <laughs> yeah. You know, but when you get into, I'm sure some of that stuff was one arm stuff too, right? Oh uh, yeah. We did the arsenal strength. Yep. I also got to say, I've never been a fan of barbell rows because just the point you just made about, well, as long as that bar touches right in my lower belly button area, I count mm -hmm. that as a rep. But when the set goes, you start like this and four five, yeah. six, your shoulders sure. start to go like that. To me, like that just doesn't make sense. That's why I don't love that exercise. And I know people mm -hmm. will argue that it's a great exercise because you're working your spinal rectors at the same time. I've struggled with it too. I'd much prefer it, a dumbbell row if I wanted to grow muscle. That's where I was just going that because I feel like with one arm braced on something, you can make sure that you are keeping your shoulders at the exact same angle or your yeah. upper body, I should say, at the exact same angle angle that you started with where you know, T-bar rows from the floor, um, barbell rows, you just see people. I mean, who, who, one of you guys sent uh, in the group chat a video and you're like, yeah, uh, that's just yeah. not good. Who, oh, wants, yeah, yeah. who wants to question these? Yeah. <laughs> but you can't because <laughs> the level of development. But And I even, when you rattled off the sequence of exercises, I really liked it because the T-bars were at the end. 
Mm-hmm. So you have all that pre-fatigue throughout the lats, throughout the teres, throughout the rhomboids, and then, okay, now I'll bring in the T-bars at the end to literally hit everything, all mm-hmm. through my erectors, all down through stabilization from the glutes to the hamstrings and everything. I think it's a great sequence. I much prefer finishing that way than I would to c- come out of the gates with a T-bar row or a barbell row and then go, or and that's the argument for deads. I think bodybuilders mm-hmm. should pull deads last. I mm-hmm. think power lifters should pull them first because that their numbers matter are we're doing even bench press for that matter mm-hmm. arguably squatting mm-hmm. uh, squatting is a little bit more complicated because there's so much more going on there's balance and when you get to the point of fatigue you could create a vulnerability through stabilizers through your hips and lower back but that's getting a little bit too deep i always love squatting last when I did DC, I thought, you know, because in my mind, it was always everything leading up to this is just a warm up for the super yeah. hard squats I got to do today or front and squats. They're going to be hard. <laughs> yeah, it was literally just getting, even though the sets, the, you know, the, the seated ham curls, the adductors, the whatever else, you know, were, were hard. To me, that was literally just a warm up compared to trying to put 405, 425 on your back to hit, you know, 20, 25 reps. Like, that's that's some crazy shit you know mm-hmm. like when you're like man i could literally pass out on rep 12 and this bar is going to come down and crush on me you know because i feel like it almost did a few times you know <laughs> so just to just to reiterate or just to kind of go back over this i think i hear what you're saying is <laughs> you know i'm setting this shit up <laughs> i see scott smile where's he going so basically what you're saying is intensity in this particular case trumps more weight Absolutely. For growth. Yeah. I mean, that, because we were just, we, I think one of the last shows we did prior to, you know, like maybe last month was that, that conversation. And that's another reason that I believe that they're, it, when people are married to just the strength increases and look, strength increases within bodybuilding rep range will provide growth. There's no question. I've never argued that I never will, but it's not the only way. Yep. to grow and progress when it comes Absolutely. to it. All right, let's get to some questions here. We got a bunch of them still. Um, how long does it take to notice the effects of high GH dosing? A few days. I was just going to say three that's days. Because yeah. yeah. he said, did he say, put that, well, he said tell high, me. High, high GH dosing, the effects. How long does it take? But he said feel or yeah. see? Feel. Notice, notice. Yeah. Okay, no, that's fair enough. I think I'm gonna both. Feel it. Oh, I think I both feel and see. Uh, I mean, there was a good long stretch where I didn't take any growth over the last year just from being lazy, and I threw four units in, and next day it's like, oh, I do look a little fuller. Like, yeah. you know, like my pecs are a little fuller, my shoulders are a little fuller, my arms have a few veins that weren't there yesterday. So, uh, I think it can be immediate. Now, again, and, and me and Scott Stevenson have had little, little small chats about this that there are some people that you know, are better peptide responders than say just straight androgens. You know, yeah. I think I'm one of those people that I do better with. I mean, if I had a choice between only running, say, you know, let's say 500 milligrams of total androgens, but I could use a bottle of serostim a day versus I could only use three IUs of serostim and I could use like 2000 milligrams of, of anabolics. I would take the serostim and 500 milligrams of total androgens all day. 
I would like to try that experiment if anybody wants to set me up on that. <laughs> to, to, to donate. <laughs> yeah, maybe we not could the, get sponsored Not the 2,000 uh, milligrams of gear. I don't want that. You know? Maybe Serrano uh, would uh, would sponsor us uh, with some Serostem. <laughs> Serostem would sponsor us? Yeah. Or well, Serrano? The, the company that makes it is, uh, what is it? Uh, yeah, Serrano, right? I don't know who makes it. I don't know it's, either. I don't know because I don't run it like you guys do. I don't know anything about all this fancy GH talk. It's because you're. It's because you're a plebeian. Yeah, that's right. Bringing it back. All right. <laughs> what else do we have here? Um, this is one for Skip. I think. Skip, you may be proud to be walking into old headland slowly but surely. Question for the next show. We talked on a previous episode. It was just me and Skip Andrew that day. You couldn't make it, and I asked him. I was like, "Dude, when did you start saying old head?" Because you didn't used to say it, then one day you started, and now you say it every time we talk. <laughs> and he said his wife said the, the yeah. same thing. Okay. So anyway, uh, question for the next show. How do you navigate skip loading if your client is a type 1 diabetic? Interested to hear uh, what you have to say about dealing with nutrition with them. Well, uh, Ant Bales comes to mind uh, because I worked with Ant a few times prior to him turning pro and he skip loaded uh, very similarly to, to how most people would skip load type ones are easier to work with than type twos. In my opinion, I haven't worked with a ton of type ones, but I can say that they're easy to work with. And I'll tell you why they know how their body responds to insulin and carbohydrates mm. far better because they've been dealing with it for just a very, very long time. Yeah. They are incredibly locked into the minutia when it comes to nutrition and hormones and, and that sort of thing. You don't have to know a whole, I, like I could sit over here and tell you that there was some brilliant approach and, you know, I'm a super genius like Wiley Coyote and, and all that sort of stuff. When he was filling the carrots, he was taking the tops off the carrots and putting nitroglycerin in them while the, his little his little like barn or whatever it was is being pulled onto the tra the train tracks. But anyway, you'd have to be no one. You guys don't even get that reference. You're not old enough. God, it's I, I get terrible. it, but nobody else is. It, yeah, so. you're like uh, get they're just like the old headisms. Yeah. Anyway, oh, I know what you're talking about. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's 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 quite simple because the type one diabetics, those clients know how their body responds. So it's not different from a trainer standpoint. I mean, I'm not going to throw a, you know, a formula skip load at you and tell you, you know, we're going to be more precise with what you're eating, but I don't even have to put down those parameters because it's usually the client has already told me, you know, how well they tolerate. There's a lot of back information. Obviously you guys know this for, you know, when you start working with a regular client, let alone, someone yeah. who's a type, you know, a type one. So, and, and it's still, there are still individual, you know, situations too. type two. The reason I say type two, type two diabetics aren't difficult to work with, but in my experience, they deny their type two -edness. Uh. <laughs> um, and, and that can be frustrating yeah. until they're yes. real. You know what I mean? It, it's, mm -hmm. it's kind of odd because type two, I, and I call a spade a spade. You created it. It's your lifestyle. You may be prone to being a type two, but that's just, 
That's just lame. You have mm-hmm. so much control of it that if you have type two, you're not doing something right because you can get rid of it. Ninety nine and a half people out of 100 can get rid of it or control it to where they don't need medication and they are no longer consider- considered a type two diabetic. Oh, yeah. Can't disagree. Do you know anything different, Andrew, working with diabetics? No, I think uh, Skip touched on it. It's um, I, I think using the individual client's knowledge of how their body reacts to carbs and then you put the plan together and it's like treating a normal client really i mean sometimes every now and then you get something out of left field where because i I remember i used to train one in person a whole bunch who was a who was a competitor and um, every now and then you know blood sugar would be really high for no reason despite no changes in diet no change in in this and that what i used to have her do actually was go and sit in the sauna for like 15 minutes to if she had super high blood sugar and it would lower her blood sugar due to the heat shock proteins activating um some glute transporter pathways to lower her blood sugar versus having to take yeah versus having to take a whole bunch of insulin how significantly i'm intrigued uh shoot maybe lower like 40 points i think wow yeah that's crazy if it works for her you know, that's what I'm for thinking. Anybody. Yeah, I feel like I've learned a lot through working with diabetics about blood sugar because they're constantly monitoring. I I was working with a guy recently who just moved to Germany. Shout out to Sean. And uh, I just would pick his brain. I'd be like, so when you eat fats, what happens? Like, what happens to your mm-hmm. blood sugar? If you were to eat this, what happens to your blood sugar? What about when you eat this? You know, and it's just like he had because he had so much experience. It's his body. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, he, he's got it. He's reading this constantly. So mm-hmm. we did have something really weird that I had never seen with a diabetic before. Clen at even 12 micrograms blasted his blood sugar through the roof. From the um, um, sympathetic, uh, from the uh, sympathetic nervous system response, he could take he could take other other stimulants, no problem. And like we're talking twelve, we're talking twelve micrograms though. Like you don't even, you know what I mean? It's not like we're like let's take twenty yeah, or forty. Like and we went, you we might absorb 20. twelve micrograms from the air just breathing. You know? <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. But how did you get to twelve microgram? I mean, it's such 20, a they're uh, quarter, quarter tab, uh, mm. quarter tab, 20, fifty microgram oh, tabs. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. So. Yeah, but it is crazy, man. I'd never seen that before. He came up with something. Uh, he figured something out, and, and he found, like, one message board from somewhere, and there was some, some potential information. I don't remember what it was now. I just knew that it was like, well, we're not. Because he was like, well, let's keep. And I was like, no, we're just not going to take the clen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Was he doing caffeine with it? No. No, no okay. Because I do see that in type 1s quite often, like, when with, they drink like a cup caffeine? of coffee. Yeah, for similar reasons. But, um, okay. yeah. Interesting, because twelve mics of clan is like, yeah. And we tried to ride it out for a while. We're like, well, let's see if you get used to this, you know. Mm -hmm. And it was like twenty five. No, let's cut it down further. And it's just, it was weird, man. But anyway, something else, you know, those things, those little things that you never see. I even uh, Mm -hmm. um, reached out to uh, Brent Swanson. I was like, hey, Brent, you ever seen this? He's like, I've never seen this in my life. (laughs) Um, Question: uh, If you do D ball with Masteron or run an AI, will that lessen the water bloat? Is the bloat from high estrogen? If you do D-ball. Okay, so he's saying if you use Masteron or an AI to combat the effects of the D-ball, will that lessen the water bloat? 
Yeah, it would definitely. If you took a bunch of AIs, you would definitely, I think, reduce your But let's just retention. say master on itself. And obviously it would be dose dependent. But if, you know, D-ball, if anything is going to increase estrogen like right now that's yeah. going to be one of them <laughs> yeah. but i don't i don't know that mastron itself would counter that but i understand he's asking about mastron or an ai but i tell you and i'm not i'm i'm going to be honest i have my questions about the impact that higher estrogen levels have on sub q water i think everybody's different and i think that has helped to make it more of a gray area for me but i've heard this over the last five six years and at first i dismissed it and then i thought don't be so quick to dismiss it skip because it could be one of those things that has been accepted as being a rule and it might not be the case and i don't know I honestly don't know what I want to say. If I have to pick a side, I'm going to say that higher estrogen does cause more water retention. But here's the thing. When you're really lean and you do an oral that increases estrogen, I know myself, speaking for myself, I don't get watery like I do when I'm fat or fatter or not as lean. Now, you could hyper, you could argue you know, being uh, higher, having higher estrogen levels too, because you're carrying more body fat, but that's kind of a reach. So I would feel better to accept that it 100% that sub Q water is related to high estrogen. If I would get watery taking higher like compounds that aromatize more when I'm leaner, but I don't see that. So it does, it leaves a, a, a kind of a question mark. Well, in my brain that I'm not convinced of. Well, there is a relationship between estrogen and sodium, uh, or I should say retention. water balance mediating mm -hmm. effects, sodium retention, as well as aldosterone. So, right. so yeah, I think to answer the question, absolutely, that's, that's probably the primary mechanism of how estrogen, higher estrogen affects water retention for sure. But like you're saying though, because I agree with you, Skip, if you're peeled and you take something that increases your estrogen, it's not like you see an immediate effect of right. of water. Um, right. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. So does, I'm trying to think how to phrase this, does, well, does low levels of body fat in conjunction with um, high levels of, higher levels of estrogen intermittently have any effect you know that's i think the question my question which, would be why would you want to take d-ball which is there <laughs> to basically put a bunch of water on you fast mm -hmm. uh, and get you real strong you know like that's it's like a it's like a quick and dirty way to mm -hmm. get pumped why mm -hmm. why would you take it but then try to counteract that you know what i mean i mean obviously you don't mm -hmm. want to let it just run wild mm -hmm. but i would think through dosing would be my first thought like let's not dose it so that i instantly wake up with you know double d's the next day uh but let's let's try to dose it in a way that i can kind of manage this more easily and maybe not need much of an ai or whatever else but that would be my thought was like i want to gain water if i'm on d ball it's probably because i want to try to fill out and pump up and be crazy in the gym you know mm -hmm. when's the last time you guys ran d ball it's been a while Ooh. If I had to guess, it was early 2000s. Yeah, same. Mid 2000s. Yeah, I mean, it's in there. So it's so long ago that I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. I've tried it every once in a while. 
again. Like I had a, a pouch of it laying around, you know. And every once in a while, I'd get that that wild itch, and I'd be like, you know, I'm gonna try some D ball pre workout. I'd take like one, and you know, and that'd be it. And then after a while, then there was a couple points, so I'd been like, yeah, I'm gonna get back on D ball, and I take a take it a few days in a row, and then I'd be like, oh yeah, I can't eat anymore. This is why I don't take D ball every time. <laughs> well, describe um, the effects of uh, injectable D ball with um because i know you said you like that right scott it's great man i actually maybe even has still had some i don't know but maybe uh, but just like it'll probably never be used you know what i mean but it's just there just in case i want to relive my glory days (laughs) but i guess where i'm going did you ever check your estrogen from what was your dosing protocol was it daily or was it like i only took it on training days um and and i would run usually between 25 to 50 and okay. uh and yeah i at the there i'd run it a few different ways i'd run it using oral on non-training days thinking like i'm gonna try to keep my blood levels up <laughs> i'd run it just taking it on its own i'd run it like oral in the morning injectable in the evening <laughs> pre-training kind of thing so i'd done all those different ways but i would say that um for me it i got the strength incredible strength benefits like that workout without dealing with the stomach issues you know whatever it is with digestion that would happen with it that was Mm -hmm. completely circumvented it felt like i would call it a cleaner d-ball and i would Mm -hmm. call it a stronger d-ball too because you don't have to break it down in digestion you know it's like if you're taking 50 you got 50. yeah maybe it's just that the liver gets so inflamed and swollen that it takes up space in the abdominal cavity and (laughs) don't have as much room in your stomach I don't, I don't know, but I'm the same way with injectable Anadrol. I love it until I get to about the third week, and then there's that horrible, horrible metallic taste from Ooh. having it ha- not even having the full injection done yet, and I can <laughs> I can just taste it, and I hate that, so I quit taking it. But I loved injectable Anadrol. I would always. I'm not telling the, uh, and I'm not trying to get off on a tangent here. I'm not telling the the guy who asked the question to do this, but if it's me, I'm never taking D ball. I would just take hand or draw. <laughs> well, that's yeah. Same here. Yep. How about this one? Would, oh, go ahead. I would just say I would take almost any other oral instead of yeah. D ball. Yeah. It's yeah. rare that I use D ball anymore. Uh, Put it this Ian, way. I take Austrian over D ball. Would you really, <laughs> would you really? I've never used, I mean, I think I used Austrian for like, two days and was like what the fuck am i doing what the hell am i doing like <laughs> i get your point am i a chick made. like what is yeah. going on um how do you guys rate p5p for polectin cheers so so like it's not i think uh what what is it like 600 milligrams three times a day i would say that does not compare to caber right. or romocryptine but um you know in women in particular and probably that's the group I'm thinking about most because we're, you know, like let's say you do someone's labs and we're trying to figure out why the prolactin's high. A lot, oftentimes, if they're using an SSRI at the same time, it'll affect the prolactin levels. So rather than add another, you know, compound to the mix, like a caber in their case, you know, because a lot of these women don't even use PEDs, uh, I'll use the P5P usually at 600 milligrams three times a day and we'll see a minor reduction, you know. Maybe from 75 down to 40. Crossland said he likes to start it before that you actually start the compound. So like if you were to be a person that had issues with DECA, he said he found it to be more effective if you start it like two weeks before you start the compound or I can't remember, maybe he said a week 
And then he said that if you take it that way, that you're less likely to then have issues versus if you try taking P5P when you already have issues, it's a lot harder to catch. It was his thoughts, his experience. I think people don't realize a lot of, like most of us are walking around with higher levels of prolactin than reference yes. ranges as it is. You know? They've recently it, said that too. Yeah. And, and if you didn't know that, you wouldn't think there was a problem because there isn't a problem. A lot of, a lot of people have, it's called a prolactin email. It's like a little tumor in the, um, in the brain that produces just a little excess prolactin. We're talking people that don't use bodybuilding drugs or anything. It affects, I think like 35 or 40% of the population. Cause even when I was younger and I did my labs, you know, not using cycles or anything long periods of time off, I would always have high prolactin levels. Hmm. Um, you know, maybe it could be caused by other supplements I was taking as well, but I definitely think I have one of those uh, small tumors in my brain. Completely right. benign. How about this one? Um, John Meadows training plans. He says, I'm addicted to following John Meadows training programs and decided to do them all in order. I'm currently at the end of program three. All his earlier programs were written to be done the traditional four split four days a week, hitting all body parts once a week. Some people today would argue this frequency is too low. I am of the opinion that doing them as they are written in training with high enough intensity, this will be sufficient to grow optimally. Um, I am curious if you agree with this. Uh, would like Skip's opinion as well. Um, though I believe he hasn't done his programs. I have trained for 12 years and consider myself advanced. Thank you. First, well, I haven't done them. <laughs> never done a single program? No, you know, and it's, I'm, look, I'm just too much of a control freak. John knows the shit. I have massive respect for John, always have. Um, outside of the Meadows Rose, we used to go around and around about this. It became a standing joke, but. <clears throat> It, not that they were bad, but the, mechanically, I'm like, you just the angle's wrong. Anyway, um, it, a lot of my clients use his training, and I and I support that because I think the guy from a training standpoint is Wiley Coyote of training. Um, <laughs> I, it, it, two references in the same. That's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah. I'm waiting for a third, you know. Now. Yeah, <laughs> um, I can explain the carrots again. Uh, anyway, so. Even though I haven't done them, I'm still familiar with them. But I would disagree. Well, I would agree with what he said that people tend to think that training each body part once a week is not enough. That's disappointing if that's true. Because I think it's true. I, really, yeah. I no, I think I, I'm not a lot against, of people think that. That a lot of people think that yeah, only no, training four days so a week. Okay, let's just because say four I, days a week is not enough. They think four days. Oh no, yeah, is not enough. yeah, yeah. Okay, that I can that I could agree with. I just. I still stand by the that if you're going to go into the gym and you're going to train your ass off, I just don't know how people are optimally recovering if their training is frequently uh, more frequently than training each muscle group once a week. I understand that the volume could be lower. I totally get that. I, I guess I'm just relating it to my almost 40 years of training. And I admit that I don't have the greatest recovery. Even when I was younger, it wasn't great. And obviously as I get older, I have to watch the recovery that much more, which is part of the reason that, you know, we got on the topic of the, you know, trading every other week. But I mean, hell, I came back from not training for two and a half weeks and eating like a slob to literally now I was crippled sore, but I came back stronger mm -hmm. 
Yeah. On everything. I couldn't, I had to hold back on legs because I'm like, I could literally PR, I could put up PR numbers from before my knee injury. And huh. I know that I'm already going to be crippled and not be able to walk. And I was right. Mm -hmm. So I just look at the recovery standpoint. I, I don't like more frequent training and it's not just me, but I see it with clients too. And I see the progress. And, and a lot of times when I pull that back, 90% of the time, I'm guessing, the vast majority of time I pull their training back, they start progressing again. So mm -hmm. over the years of doing that, I just, I don't like that mentality. I wish I could change that in the industry. I just think people train too frequently unless they're just doing very little work in the gym when they're in the gym. And you have to be so advanced to get there. Is this guy advanced enough? Maybe. Yeah, it, you know, and that's a good point. To be able to well, generate the intensity. And that's really a do. very, very important factor. That is true. I think we would all agree we'd rather have four 100% training sessions versus five or six. I would say six or even as low as five, maybe three at 100 and two at 50, 70, 80, yeah. given up. You know, yep. like I'd rather yeah. go into the gym and have every every time I walk out of there be like, damn, like that was that was something to remember. That mm -hmm. was an awesome workout versus being like, eh, I just couldn't get my shoulders to feel right. I just yeah, I got feel... it done. So it's a good workout. No, I fuck. hate that feeling. I hate that yeah, feeling. Being like, I just got it done because, yeah, I hate that. And I yeah. tell clients all the time that are like, can I have an extra day? And I'm like, look, we need to come up with a mindset here. Are you addicted to training? Or are you addicted to results? Because I need right. to know that now, because if yep. you're addicted to results, my 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 brain is telling me that your best move is to stick with the volume we have you at now, the frequency we have yet now. If you're just saying, hey, you know what? Competing is a fun thing for me. I'm not trying to maximize my progress. I enjoy time in the gym. That's completely fine. It's your life and it's your money. But I'm mm -hmm. just telling you, you know, but let me also touch on John's program. So, yeah, there's four base days. All right. And keep in mind that one of those base days is just an arm workout, which you can call that even almost a recovery day in my in my opinion, sure. you know depending but you know you have a leg workout you have a chest shoulder workout you have a back workout and you have an arm day now i think what he might not have seen or may, might might be failing to mention is that there's also what he calls pump workouts and those are submaximal. those are not those are more volume based they're more it's almost like um i almost call it like a parasympathetic workout even though it's, it's harder than that but you're really just, you're not working up to like top sets. You're not PR in anything. You're not trying to PR anything. If you do, you're, you're, you're trying too hard and you're going to bury yourself in a few weeks, but you're really just adding some extra volume, a little bit more blood flow to the, to the tissue. Um, you know, you might do 16 sets and like three of them are a nine or, or an eight or a nine you know, out of all of them, everything else is a little less than that compared to the first day, the, the, the base workouts where you're, you know, you're doing at least one hard working set for every single exercise. So I think there is a distinction there between the pump days and the base days, which I think maybe he didn't read into the program that far, or maybe John didn't start introducing those into until program four. So there's that in mind. Um, the other thing is there's mountain dog 1.0 and there's mountain dog 2.0. So the 1.0 followed that base, you know, legs, chest delts, back arms kind of set up. 2.0 was more of a push-pull leg split so that, you know, when you get to, let's say you do push-pull legs with one rest day in there, and then you can do whatever frequency work you need to do in terms of what body parts lagging the most, let's say your legs, you add in a, the option to add in another leg workout, which is also considerable, uh, same as a base workout. So the intensity is still there as high. 
but the overall volume is definitely lower than it was in the 1.0 workouts. So there's some titrating up and down of the volume, mm-hmm. frequency, intensity, all that kind of all that kind of stuff to still kind of keep you at a baseline in terms of work output. That's a great explanation. It is. I think you know what it sounds to me like Tor enjoys doing somebody else's plans, and I can get it. I I, I see it that like some people really love that. They're like, hey, I want to. It's exciting to them. And he said he wants to do all of John's plans. Well, you know, you've got a huge list first of all. Yeah. And you're gonna have a huge amount of progression. Like there'll, there'll be a huge. There'll be a progression in thinking as it goes too. So he'll have an opportunity to see like the encyclopedia along mm-hmm. the way, you know. So mm-hmm. good for him. Mm-hmm. All right. What else do we have here? There was a longer one here. It says uh Scott Bryan here. I have a question for BSG, inspired by Skip's new training method. What does the group think about one week of plus 500 calories over maintenance followed by one week of minus 500 calories under maintenance as a method of putting on muscle while losing fat. My guess is that uh, you will still be able to easily power through your workouts during your low calorie weeks because you are still refreshing uh, and full of glycogen from uh, the high calorie week. I'm 220, 15% body fat. And I'd just like to be a better 220 than I am now, not looking to gain or lose any significant amount of body fat. I realize I could gain up to 240 or 250 and then diet back down to 220 and I'd uh, be a better 220 than I am now, but I really would prefer to do it another way. On the other hand, um, I don't want to spin my wheels and waste my time. Thanks for all your input, Brian. I can make this real easy. Try it and let us know how it works. And and that's not me being a. I mean, yeah. basically what he explained is just one of, you know, an infinite amount of ways to offset your metabolism. And you know, I would even argue that okay, I skip load and I get all those calories in one day. It's right more than that. But the point being is just it's just another method that you're putting black and white parameters around to be able to assess and evaluate. I think it's great. So do it like literally just do it and and see what happens and let us know how it works how it works wouldn't you guys say that progress happens from the cyclical change in calories like let's say you have person a that eats 2700 calories every day for a year versus someone that if you averaged it out per day it was 2700 calories but they had periods of time where they're in a surplus, periods of time and when they're in a deficit. I mean, obviously, you need to be in somewhat of a surplus to put on muscle. you got to be in somewhat of a deficit to lose that body fat. Wouldn't you say someone's going to make more overall gains cycling calories? And I believe I read, read an article about how it's healthier to not eat the same calories every day um, due to the effects on the metabolism. It, I hate to use this term, yeah. but keeping your metabolism guessing, you know, yeah. you know, when you hear like the old trainers in the gym, like, oh, you got to keep your metabolism guessing. They were kind of onto something. I don't think they fully understood what the heck they were talking about when, when they were talking about it. But I do think it kind of applies here. I agree. Yeah, hundred percent. In fact, I'd go so far as to say that I, I don't think people should forget about caloric output 
as well. Mm. And this is something I was talking about a lot 10, 12 years ago. We are so focused on changing caloric input, but if you were to, as an example, keep your caloric input the same, but you alter or cycle your output to where, and I'll do this sometimes with people at prep, I'll just literally just pull their, their cardio for a week, mm-hmm. 10 days, and then put it back in. Then all of a sudden there's, there, it's effective and there's a change. It's, yep. I guess what I'm trying to say is it's, it's calories, but it's not just the calories in that you eat. It's also the, the output as well that will help to keep your metabolism off you know, off balance and the body works is constantly fighting, I guess is a better way to put it to be in this balance or this homeostasis, this comfort area. And so that's why you you think about it. It's the same with training. Mm -hmm. You need to keep your, your body again, guessing and keep it kind of off balance so that it doesn't adapt to what you're doing. And I think it's no different with nutrition or with calories in calories out your metabolism. Yeah. Needs a novel stimulus. Yeah. I agree with everything you guys are saying. One last one here. Thoughts on running cycles with lower test versus other compounds. Um, currently running 300 milligrams of testy with uh, 700 milligrams of EQ a week during a bulk. Um, want to run test as high as I can without using NAI plan to utilize the same strategy with other compounds in the future trt in between cycles first thing i would ask is why just if you were sitting here i'd just ask why because i always want more information what their thinking is not that it's bad but why why run it low is it because you're concerned about aromatization um Get side effects I, from higher test or yeah versus yeah. higher EQ. I mean, if I'm going to go with side effects, I damn sure want the side effects from higher test and higher EQ. But I'm not knocking the cycle. Uh, I'd be curious to know how how he does on it too. But I don't know what the motivation is. There. I don't know what what the reasoning is. I think um, like your last um, answer, Skip. Give it a try. See how yeah. it goes. Give, give it two rounds of a cycle with that yeah. um, TRT base in between and see what kind of progress you make. You know, I know that in other regions of the world, these low test, higher, all the other anabolic cycles are kind of a thing. You know, like I had a guy over in, I believe, Iran who was 250 test and 800 DECA and um, I think 800 EQ. And I said, okay, that's what you've always run. And he had a good, he had a good muscular physique. I said, let's keep running it, you know. What am I, who am I to change up what's been working? You know, brings me to another point. Do you ever get this when you ask a client like, Hey, what did you do on your last diet? When you, when you looked up their contest pictures and they got in great shape, tell me a little bit about your diet. What drugs did you, they're like, well, why do you need to know? Like, aren't you going to give me a plan? It's like, yeah, but if everything looked really good there, I'd be stupid to ignore all that information and to just think like, we're going to reinvent everything. you know, yeah, our goal is to bring is, is to make you look your absolute best. Well, I thought you looked really good at that last show. I want to see what I can do to tweak it, make it look a little bit better. But I need to know the base of what was going on. You know, yeah, yep. he did say that he wanted to be able to not use an AI. So it might be one of those things okay. like we talked about before on the other show was like some people they're like, ah, I don't want to use AIs. They're they're evil, you know, mm-hmm. so it, it mm-hmm. could be that. But I do think, though, that like test you know i get more side effects if i start running that test higher than a lot of other compounds like i think the eq is going to be a little bit more moderate you know or master on for me it's like i don't get much or his estrogen could be tanked 
He well, can end up with well, estrogen that's tanked too if he's one of those people that responds with that. Yeah, with the low, EQ with the so, EQ yeah. test combo. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, I've had start. to take so, testosterone up because estrogen is too low. With, and the good uh, news is, I was going to add to him too, was that like, like you said, try it. And guess what? If you don't like what's happening, you can always adjust. You sure, know what I mean? Always. You don't have to keep doing it. Yeah. yeah. I know I used to run testosterone a lot higher. Like I would make sure that it was my, you know, kind of like we used to say back in the day, everything else was, you know, around it. It would be the obvious highest Base. dose compound. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I, I have come down. I don't even know if it's really that I, that I did it consciously as much as, you know, let's say that I'm running, I don't know, three compounds. I may run them. I mean, this is just to make my point. I yeah. I don't want anybody to run with this and go, oh, my God, Skip does it. But yeah. it's to make my point. Let's just say, you know, three compounds at 600, 600, 600. Right. You know, so I, I, it's not uncommon for me to run it, run my testosterone at a, you know, at roughly a one third. Uh, mm-hmm. But I doubt I would ever, and, and using those numbers, I'm trying to think, I don't think I would ever run my testosterone under seven, seven or 800. So like, if I'm running three compounds, now it might not be 700 or 800 for all three, but it yeah. might be, you know, 800 tests. Uh, 400, 400, so then I'm running at half or 800, 500, 500. Yeah, in that area. I don't want my testosterone to be the lowest compound from a dosage standpoint that I've run it. And and I have tried it and I didn't like the feeling. I didn't didn't feel that my sex drive was good. I didn't feel... I don't want to say I felt off. I can't really put my finger on it. I just feel better and I don't see a different response to where... I go, oh, this is a bad idea. I'm running testosterone. I've never seen that. So I often wonder, outside of just the aromatization um, component, which may be the only reason, that people don't, they just want to get away from running really high testosterone. Um, And if it's because of the aromatization or like in your case, Scott, you know, you had evaluated that you didn't feel like you ran that well on higher doses of tests. I completely respect that. But what I think is happening with a lot of people is they haven't, what's that? (laughs) I'm not saying I didn't use high test. (laughs) Right. But that's what I'm getting at. I think a lot of people have just kind of passed that first step. Yeah. Like just went, oh, well, you know, everybody's running. I don't need to run as high. I don't want higher estrogen. So they just run, they just jump to to the second stage apparently. And the second stage is, well, I'm just going to run it real low. And then they have no idea if they may have responded better to testosterone. I mean, I think the body, you guys correct me if you feel differently. I think the body responds to testosterone better than any other compound in the sense that it doesn't see it as this. Well, it's bioidentical. Yeah, people are using that term a lot now as the bioidentical hormone thing. Oh, really? Yeah, it's becoming a a thing. It irritates me personally because bioidentical hormones were, you know, specifically drugs that are made to be absolutely bioidentical. So, like, test sip is not technically bioidentical, but people are saying it. I'm off my soapbox. Thank you for It's the closest. Yeah, bioidentical exactly. substance. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's a good it's way to because I got your I, I got your point. And basically, when you said that, I was like, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, versus you know, and and you have to wonder if that's part of the reason that there are so many side effects to a lot of the other compounds where it's not usually that you know tests your body just tolerates it. I think so much better 
than other, you know, you take 2,000 milligrams of testosterone, but try taking 2,000 milligrams of EQ, <laughs> yeah, and, and let's take a look at blood, yeah, or DECA, and see, you know, not only how you feel, but let's take a look at those blood markers and see what everything looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I, I said, before add, too, most underrated drug, I think, testosterone is now, because people are shying away from it. That's a good one. There's an argument I think, there, I agree. I think also, though, um, to get to the these lower tests, high, I think a lot of it, there's a lot of newer coaches out there. There's a lot of newer mm. experimenters with PEDs out there in terms of, you know, younger population. Yeah. And I feel like everyone has to, and, and I'm not saying this is wrong, try to come up with a newer novel concept or, or sure. just to try it and yeah. see if it works, you know, because what did we do? We tried this compound when no one had ever tried it before. We stacked this and that before when it wasn't a traditional, you know, marriage of, of two compounds. That's what we've been doing for the last 20, 15, you know, years. True. So, I can't knock it for trying it, you know, because maybe they're onto something. Maybe there's a healthier way because um, I've never done a super low test base, higher multiple androgen layered cycle like like this guy's describing, you know, because I right think on. test is king. Test is king. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Well, that's about all the time we have here, but we definitely need more questions for the next show. I have a thread over on Patreon. If you're part of Patreon, then comment over there to get questions on the next episode. Everybody on YouTube, thank you for being here. And if you're new to our content, let me encourage you to subscribe and hit the bell because we have several bodybuilding podcasts that come out each week. Um, and thank you all for being here. So, guys, go over to TeamSkip.com. You can reach wah, out to wah, Skip wah. for coaching. I'll give you oh, one of sorry. those. TeamSkip.com. <laughs> Thank you. And (laughs) com. Go to bodyberry.com. You can reach out to Andrew over there. McNallyDiets at gmail.com. That's me. And, of course, go to our great sponsors, truenutrition.com. Use our code THINK. And uh, everybody else, supplementsource.ca for our Canadians. We will see you guys soon. Thanks for watching. Thank you, everybody, in the live stream. I was going to.